Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, everybody. We also have with us a very special guest, Russell Holly Hurt, and he's here for the topic today, which is going to be all about secret commanders. So secret commanders, well, in Commander, it's pretty easy to build around your commander. You have access to it at all times, and you can recast it if it gets killed. But it's pretty difficult to build around cards in your main deck because large singleton decks make it so that you may not draw your key card over the course of multiple games. In order to build the deck around something outside the command zone, you're either going to need a ton of tutors to ensure that you find it every game, or else you'll need a tutor in the command zone. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about commanders that allow you to search out other cards so you can make them the focus of your deck, your secret commander. But before we talk about that, I want to briefly touch on our Patreon page. So if you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. All right, uh, before we get into some of these examples of secret commanders, how do you feel about secret commanders? How do you feel about them when the creature permanent they need to get is not enabled by a tutor commander? I'm going to be the first to say that this episode actually made me realize something about myself in which if you had asked me about secret commanders in general, I would have said that I don't like them, that I I'm kind of would have been curmudgeonly and said something akin to, oh, well, that's what the commander's for. But then this episode and this deck in particular made me realize, oh, actually, there's a few <laughs> cool secret commanders that I think work really well um, and are really cool builds and really cool decks. And to the second part of that question, I have seen lists, say a feather list that used Sunforger as a kind of like like secret commander or a, a Zur list that used Astral Slide as like the secret commander. But the difference in the the consistency between those lists was was crazy drastic. Like the the Zur list pretty much got to do what he wanted every time. Seemed really cool, and the Feather list spent a lot of its time trying to loot until it could get the Tutor or find the Sunforger, and it just seemed like it fell behind everybody else a lot quicker. So, I think Secret Commanders, when done well, are interesting, and they kind of can highlight some cool things in the format. How do you all feel? Yeah, I think that you know one of the strengths of casual commander is not leaning on tutors to make your game plan work. So you've got a you know a hundred card singleton deck, and the deck plays out differently every time. So when you build around your commander, like you have that one card that's consistent, but your your deck may may do completely different things from game to game. When you start building around a secret commander, you, your deck just has more things that become consistent and. Um, less variance between games. So I think that's one of the reasons I've avoided building these kinds of decks in the past is just to keep that casual aspect of unexpected gameplay and unpredictable gameplay in my decks. One thing I like about secret commanders is they sort of behave how the best partners behave. And, well, and by best, I sort of mean those that are like most interesting or healthiest for the format in that a lot of these decks we're going to be talking about today, um, especially the ones that like are tutoring out legendary creatures, they sort of allow you to expand the color identity of your commander, and they enable things that wouldn't otherwise be possible. So 
in the same way as how like you know you can have your halana death touch in green your death touch creatures coming in and and punching stuff and killing them and then like you add another commander onto that to give you access to the death touch creatures in those colors a lot of these secret commanders can kind of function the same way if you have like a reki the history of kamigawa that you're finding with your um captain sise like it's it's still like a reki deck but you are adding white to the color identity and that sort of gives you new options so that's kind of how i think about a lot of these ones especially the creatures it's just like Really, your your Captain Sisse becomes a partner to Reki to give you an extra color and identity, and that sort of makes the deck play out differently and gives you different options for cards. That's absolutely true. I, I think that this brings up one of the, the another one of the downsides, though, of the Secret Commanders, which is if you build your deck too much around a card that's in the ninety nine, and then that card gets removed, you no longer have access to it. If it goes into exile, unless you build your deck um, with a bunch of pieces to bring things out of exile which are not useful in a lot of circumstances then your whole strategy could fall apart whereas you know the feature of commander where you have this one card that goes back to the command zone you can always have access to it means that your deck will always function if you're built around your commander so there's a there's a real risk in building around cards in the 99 yeah you're telling me that not every green deck runs rift sweeper and that 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 mono green staple. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a really good point. Like you know, while adding extra colors is definitely a huge uh, upside for a lot of these commanders, you are accepting that risk by building around a tutor commander. Although, in some cases, it it can be mitigated because you know if you're building your deck around a creature that's in your your ninety nine, that's going to be vulnerable to a lot of different a lot more kinds of disruption than if you're building around, say, like a legendary enchantment or something. Is there any other thoughts you want to say on just like the general topic of secret commanders before we jump into these examples? I think we should get into them because the thing is, over the years, there's been a lot and we're going to touch on some of the ones that we know about um, before we get into like a specific example. So I guess, should I just start reading some off? Yeah, go for it. All right. So I think one of the classic secret commander lists especially in regards to like a non-creature permanent being your commander is arkham dagson so arkham dagson the ancient boogeyman of the the old edh uh, can sacrifice an artifact creature to tutor for an artifact a non-creature artifact and put it into the onto the battlefield and there are a few different pretty good artifacts that you can just drop into play and do something really stupid with so one of the really uh big chains a really consistent one one of the reasons it was a boogeyman uh i don't know like 10 years ago is that you could make some mirror tokens sack them get a dark steel forge sack it get an avenirals disc and then sack it get a mycosynthlatus and what that does is means all the permanents are artifacts and all of yours are artifacts, but yours are indestructible, and theirs aren't, including your disc. So that was um, a very consistent game plan, and it was pretty good. And the the other one that is I've actually seen one time was a Thrumming Stone list where it played Persistent Partitioners. So you would Arkham Dagson out your Thrumming Stone, and then kind of chain these Persistent Partitioners together, and boom, the 
someone's dead. <laughs> Someone or a few people are dead. Yeah, and I think this sort of illustrates the play pattern that I think is common to these secret commander decks. Whereas like once once Arkham Dagson has gotten the thrumming stone, his he's kind of no longer necessary. He he's no longer what your deck is about and using him isn't nearly as important as this other game plan you have going with your persistent petitioners. And similarly, like, you know, once you have the Dark Steel Forge and the Nev's disc up, you're kind of okay if Arkham dies, yeah, Arkham dies. <laughs> after <laughs> that point because you've kind of got, uh, you know, non-land permanence on lock. There's a few more we could get into. I think the most popular commander right now is just Golos because Golos can kind of act at like a secret commander for lands. So recently we got the World Tree that's currently in 66% of Golos lists. And although I would put an asterisk on that in that it's um 66% of the decks that have been created since the the mm, the world mm-hmm, tree became mm-hmm. legal. So as of right now that's just a couple weeks. I think it's still a few hundred. <laughs> it's still yeah. still yeah. really crazy. But uh, but like uh you know out of the total like 4000 plus golos decks uh it's it's still a small percentage but i imagine it's going to see a lot of adoption mm-hmm. um field of the dead is another big one mazes end that, that was kind of the classic golos like if you're not doing a more competitive golos you usually do a mazes end it's a little bit more it, it can be more casual i don't think it necessarily has to be you are playing with like 11 10 11 tap lines in your list so yeah yeah yeah, have either of you sort of? I mean, Golos is a very popular commander. Have you seen one of these game plans out in the wild where Golos is is just focusing on this particular land, and then that's kind of what the deck becomes about from there? I mean, I think that you know that's the strength of Golos, right? Is to is to take these cool land cards and um, make them accessible, and it's a unique feature uh, of Golos. So a lot of times. The lands are just, a, you know, they're there to make your mana. They don't do the exciting thing, but the world tree is like exciting and splashy. So wanting to build around uh, that card makes a lot of sense. Haven't gotten to play against a world tree Golos deck yet, though. Uh, I've definitely gotten to play against a Field of the Dead Golos deck. And, um, you know, I was sort of playing against a friend like right after Golos came out. Uh, you know, it was in the same set as Field of the Dead. And I just sort of watched the evolution where, you know, he'd start getting off like lands to fix his mana so that he could activate Golos. And then really quickly he realized, oh, no, Field of the Dead is just the best thing to get. I shouldn't kid myself. Like, that's going to matter way more than than getting my Golos activation online a little bit earlier. And so that game plan is is just really difficult to deal with because not every meta runs a lot of non-basic land hate. Yep. And of yeah. course, it's just like such a constant source of card advantage and board presence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an example of one that if you if you go hard on that Field of the Dead synergy, it will really change the way you build your deck um, because you're going to need to get more more lands into play to, to trigger, and then you know land copying effects are going to be important in that deck. So it, that's a case where if someone does remove your field of the dead, you may find your uh, Golos deck without a way to win the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, especially because I, I feel like most lists might not be packing a ton of land hate, but if one person has like a ghost quarter, then you 
probably should have some way to get your field back or something. Yeah, no, it's it's funny, like because petrified field exists, like your second Golos target could always be just like the field yeah. um, or as you mentioned, like something like a thespian stage or a Vesuva just to give you that like added layer of protection um, because you're right. If if your field of the dead is like fully disabled, you are in a really rough place because you're just kind of a, a lands deck that was counting on field as your payoff and you've got to find another win condition if you can't make that one work. There's always worm harvest. That's the one, right? Yeah, <laughs> love that card. So, I guess moving on a little bit, we have two Captain Sisses to talk about, and one of them, the more recent one from Modern Horizons, is Sisse Weatherlight Captain, and she actually has a tutor mechanic built into her. So you can pay some amount of mana; it's reduced by the amount of colors of permanents you have to tutor up a legendary permanent, and people have been using this. A lot. <laughs> it's a very popular build to make a Sanctum of All list. I just want to read her out really quickly. If oh, you don't yeah, mind. yeah. So Sisse Weatherlight Captain is two and a white for a 2-2 legendary creature human soldier. She gets plus one plus one for each color among other legendary permanents you control. And you can pay Wooberg to search your library for a legendary permanent card with converted mana cost less than Sisse's power. Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Since we saw the additional uh, Hondens, or rather shrines, being added mm -hmm. into the format, with Magic 2021, um, Sisse's become the de facto commander for this strategy and has been really popular for it. And fully 61% of these Sisse decks are running um, Sanctum of All. It's funny how like the purpose of your tutor commander in this case is to search up your secret commander, which is also a tutor commander, in order to like get the rest of your Hondens on the board. I, I like this one a lot. I've played against a Sanctum of All Sisse list before, and it was pretty hard to disrupt once it got going. Like, unless someone had, like, enchantment removal or mass enchantment removal, they kind of just got to do their thing. <laughs> and it wasn't crazy powerful, but it had legs, I would say. that That's kind of how I would describe my experience with that list. Yeah, I've also played against it and just found that like being in five colors is, you know, a huge advantage in commander. So even though the shrine synergies weren't that powerful, like shrines with like counterspell backup and shrines with like hard control backup um, starts to become something that's that's difficult to disrupt. And if, if you're playing against that deck for the first time, you know, most decks aren't packing a lot of enchantment removal. So maybe you can take care of one, but Sisse can just go and grab another shrine um, that's going to keep generating value. And uh, unless the table has a deck full of enchantment removal, there's just no way to stop that from bringing a bunch of value to the to the Sisse player. Definitely. Um, there's one other sort of uh, secret commander for Sisse Weatherlight Captain. Uh, and that is Joyra, Weatherlight Captain. So she sees play in about 37% of Sisse decks. And she is she is two red-blue for a 3-3 three, three legendary creature human artificer. And whenever you cast a historic spell, meaning a saga artifact or legendary card or legendary spell, uh, you get to draw a card. So Sisse, because she's searching out legendary permanence, it's naturally 
a deck that is running a lot of historic cards. And so Joyra, choosing Joyra as your secret commander allows you to have access to more colors of legendary cards to really make that happen. Often like combo out or sometimes just generate a bunch of value using her trigger. This is a really cool idea to me. Like uh, one of the failures of the historic mechanic, I think for commander is that it's almost always best to just use artifacts. Yeah. <laughs> so because it includes artifacts, then everyone's built Joyra, which is a which is a cool commander that can reward um, some neat and unique cards. But why not just fill your deck with zero cost artifacts and then you just win? Um, mm -hmm. But you know this allows you to take it into a direction where you're like, you know, all those cool legendary creatures I opened in a, you know a booster pack or in my uh, I built my sealed pool around five years ago. I can jam them all in this deck and then you know, use Sissa to, to tutor them out and get a card back when I play them uh, after I have Jorah on the battlefield. So it seems like a really fun uh, way to go and also a build that has a lot of options. Like it doesn't just streamline into a single uh, set of 100 cards. Yeah, I think that this is one of the more interesting cases of Secret Commanders because they're actually is a little bit of deck building requirement coming from your main commander that sort of influences how that secret commander plays out. Like Sisse Weatherlight Captain wants you to have multiple colors among your legendary permanents, which uh, which kind of cuts out most artifacts. So because like you need at least a few colored legendary permanents in order to reach the threshold so that you can tutor out your Joyra, that sort of influences what the rest of the deck is going to look like and maybe this Joyra build because because you need that like a few colored uh, legendary permanents to get her out um is going to be more is going to be less artifact focused and more legendary focused and I think that's very cool and I think that brings us to our our next uh Sisse <laughs> we had the weatherlight captain and then there's the original uh captain Sisse so Captain Sisse is two green white for a two two legendary creature human soldier. She has tap, search your library for a legendary card, reveal that card, and put it into your hand. Then shuffle your library. So just sort of looking on EDH rec for the most common legendary cards uh, among these decks, Elish Norn comes up pretty highly in 75% in of decks, and then Reki the History of Kamigawa comes up in 64%. And these, and although there are other legendary permanents that, um, or legendary cards that come up in a lot of these decks, uh, it seems like it seems like these are the ones most being built around. So, have have either of you seen this Captain Sisse list in the wild? How is it playing out, or, or do these choices for secret commanders make sense to you? The uh, you know the Elish Norn choice there is just that's kind of brutal. Like <laughs> you get uh, you get more colors to build with, and then you're just like crushing the table every opportunity. Mm -hmm. My look on on this would be to build around a cool planeswalker. Um, you know, this there's been a lot of talk in recent years about allowing planeswalkers as commanders, and I know that like people are really they identify with these characters because they kind of drive the story. And we get so many iterations of these characters that, you know, you could really build a strong theme deck around like Elspeth or Gideon or something in a, in a Sisse deck. And that seems like a really cool place to take a secret commander idea because you can, you can just then stuff the deck with cards that synergize with your Planeswalkers 
abilities and then have you know multiple decent hits with your with your tutor commander mm -hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense and it's definitely one of the few commanders that enable that that strategy the other being heroes with eyes open but of course like you know being in a, a slightly broader color identity with captain sisse makes it so that you're you just have more options for planeswalkers to build around I will say that as somebody who's played an Elish Norn deck, like a mono white Elish Norn list, the idea of having it be your secret commander in a green white list makes a lot of sense to me because seven mana is a really difficult price point for a color identity that doesn't really have access to ramp. So yeah. being able to play your, your green ramp cards, all your land ramp, uh, and then get your Elish Norn out a bit earlier, you know, when the when more of the creatures on the board are smaller and able to be killed by her ability and when she's just going to be more impactful i think that's great because there's been so many times playing elish norn as a commander where i've just been priced out of her so quickly and then uh i'm left with just a bunch of weenies that can't really get there <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, Selesnaya gives you all the options that you want to build uh, tokens with. Um, so, you know, you get your doubling season and parallel lives to uh, to really build out your board and, and, uh, and swing out with your tokens. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Can I get into these next two? Because they kind of are related. Yes, go right ahead. Um, yeah, these are both mono-black commanders, and they both kind of build to the same card <laughs> a lot of the time. Uh, so the card in question is Ad Nauseam. It's a five mana instant. You can reveal the top card of your library, take damage equal to its, its CMC, put it in your hand, continue this as long as you want. And the two commanders in particular are Sedisi Undead Vizier, which is a 4-5 zombie naga, 4-5 mana, three black black, death touch, and exploit. And exploit was, or exploit is... When this creature enters the battlefield, you can sack a creature. If you do, do a thing. So Sidisi uh, herself, her thing is Demonic Tutor. So your commander more or less is a 5-mana Demonic Tutor. You don't even need another creature on the field to sack. You can just sack her. The other commander that's similar to this is Marilyn the Mornsong. She is a 3-mana Elf. Uh, sorry, 3-mana Elf Wizard. For one black black, players can't draw cards. At the beginning of each player's draw step, that player loses three life, searches their library for a card, puts it into their hand, and shuffle your library. So as you can see, this is like, they, they both are tutor commanders, quite literally, <laughs> like black tutor commanders. And you just can draw so many cards with ad nauseum that a lot of times you end up building these lists into kind of combo you Tutor up your ad nauseum, you cast it, you draw most, if not all, of your deck, and then win from there in various ways. So have, have either of you seen one of these decks in the wild? I have not been so unlucky. I, I don't know about you, Russell. <laughs> no, I am lucky enough not to have seen this. this mm -hmm. That feels kind of like the deck that you, you build. Uh, you spend weeks putting it all together and you put in the order for the cards and then you do the uh do the combo once and uh and never play it again yeah, yeah. <laughs> this definitely seems like there's not going to be a lot of variance game to game i can't imagine your play group i, I think a lot of play groups wouldn't be super interested in, in playing against this style of deck over and over yeah i, I have played against a maryland list that 
did this. <laughs> and it was even more heinous because the other kind of, well, kind of the, the plan B was just to get a Teferi's puzzle box, which is uh, an artifact that says uh, at the beginning, it's the beginning of your draw step. You put the cards in your hand on the bottom of your library and then draw that many cards. But since you control Marilyn and the puzzle box, you can stack the trigger so that your opponents tutor and then they put that card on the bottom of their library and then they don't draw any cards to replace them because that's what Marilyn says. And that was miserable. It was absolutely miserable. And a thing about ad nauseum is that you don't actually like draw cards with ad nauseum. You just put them into your hand. Mm -hmm. So they were able to still go off after locking us all out. It was uh, not fun. We made that person take that deck apart. <laughs> yeah, I think that as far as tutor commanders go, like... I like it when when you're putting your tutor commander in, say, a color identity that allows you to sort of shore up the weaknesses of the deck, maybe get it to a level where it's playable. Like, as I mentioned earlier, with like green helping with a lot of Elish Norn's weaknesses to the point where, you know, you can really you can really play the deck more effectively. Whereas here, I mean, the only weakness of Ad Nauseam is that it doesn't start off in your opening hand. And that doesn't really make the deck a lot more interesting or playable it just makes it so that if your opponent doesn't have like stack interaction they just die which yep. is less compelling to me mm -hmm. yeah I, I think uh having points of interaction is actually a good thing <laughs> especially for a commander knight which i guess if if everyone's okay i can move on to uh the last two guys we're going to talk about in particular sure yeah go right ahead mm -hmm. so the next one is Zer the Enchanter. So one and Esper for a 1-3 flyer. When he attacks, you can search your library for an enchantment with CMC 3 or less and put it onto the battlefield. Uh, classic commander, really popular, very strong. Built, I would say, more or less built around getting like Necropotence or Rhystic Study every game. That way you can keep your hand full of counter spells or whatever other heinous things that you have uh just to protect yourself and to like eke advantage out uh over your opponents the the other one that is not i've seen oh. in the wild is the astral slide one i talked about okay it's, it's not common <laughs> i did want to bring it up at the beginning of the show though because it was i think the perfect example of like this is an enchantment that i want to play with every game and Zur gives me access to three colors of cycling. Uh, so I, th I thought that was pretty cool. And I salute that person for making that deck. It, it, was, it was fun. Yeah, I think that's definitely like really good contrast in the type of cards you're getting. Because Necropotence, I have seven cards in my hand at all time, is not that compelling to build around, I think. But like Astral Slide, turning your deck into like... Uh, Esper, flicker, cycling interactions like that seems way more interesting to me. And that's the kind of, of secret commander that I think is really exciting and enriches the format. Yeah. And honestly, we, we could use that to transition into the... the oh, can main... I introduce this one? Yeah, go for it. Uh, I'll, I'll just say like all of the ones we've mentioned so far are things I like kind of knew about. I'd either like seen the deck or just sort of discovered it through, you know, 
research on EDHREC, and, and I was aware of most of these. This one, and, and the reason I wanted to bring Russell on is because like I hadn't seen this type of deck before, and uh, it really surprised me. Um, you know, I goldfished with Russell's list, which we're going to be talking about in detail. And uh, the deck seems like so much fun, especially since like the secret commander he's talking about is one that like I've been a big proponent yeah. of over the years. I, I talk about it every time, uh, you know, a, a red cantrip gets printed. I, I won't give too much more away. Russell, do you want to take it away and tell us about this last secret commander? Sure. So this commander is General Tazri. So General Tazri is from Oath of the Gatewatch. She is four and a white for legendary creature human ally. When General Tazri enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an ally creature card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. And she has a second ability where you can play Wooburg, and ally creatures you control get plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of colors among those creatures. And the secret commander that we're building around here is um, Zada Hedron Grinder, which is three and a red for a legendary creature, goblin ally. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that targets only Zada Hedron Grinder, Copy that spell for each other creature you control that the spell could target. Each copy targets a different one of those creatures. So like Nick mentioned, Zada is a unique and awesome creature, but she's also in a very restrictive color identity where you just don't have that many good choices to build around. So Tazri gives this really awesome ability to consistently get Zada into your hand but also gives you five colors to build around. And if you look on EDHREC, the, the Zada lists are, one, very samey, um, <laughs> just because there are so few cards to, to build around. And um, the Commander Cookout podcast even calls this the, the Zada effect, where there just aren't enough cards for a commander to, to build with, so all the decks look the same. Mm -hmm. But then they also are easy to disrupt because they're basically built around like just tokens and then cards that can target Zada. But those cards that target Zada don't do anything really. <laughs> and they don't allow you to protect your board or anything. They're really just like ways to draw cards or pump your creatures. So if your board gets wiped, um, you're going to have a really hard time resetting from that. So just a couple of examples of, of cards that people are playing in these mono red Zada lists. 91% uh, of those decks are playing Renegade Tactics, which is a red for a sorcery. Target creature can't block this turn, draw a card. So you're targeting your own creatures with that. I mean, draw a card is nice if you have six creatures out. Well, that's just red, draw six cards. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, we can really do better than like making your own creatures not able to block. Uh, <laughs> and then 83% of Zada decks include the card Stun, which is one in red instant. Target creature can't block this turn, draw a card. So again, that like, the first clause on that doesn't do anything for your deck. So by putting Zada into Tazri, what we enable is um, a strategy where you can build a combo deck around this interaction with Zada and cheap cantrips. And uh, being in five colors, we get access to ones that can untap creatures. And then when we combine these with mana dorks, we get the ability to have this huge turn where we're tapping our creatures for mana, targeting Zada with an untapped cantrip, something like, well, Cerulean Wisps is the best one, which is basically just blue, 
untap target creature, draw a card. So then if you have, you know, four or five creatures, you're untapping all of them, making a bunch of mana and drawing a handful of cards. And then as we start generating mana, well, I, I'll say that one of the strengths of the deck is from there, you can build in a bunch of different directions. So the token creators that are good in Zada are also really good here. But then, you know, we have the option with Tazri to build around allies, which are a really cool, interesting, unique, and underplayed creature type. So, you know, Tazri gives us the ability to tutor those out. And so it's a it's a more casual way to take the deck. I think um, the strongest version of the deck probably doesn't play really any allies other than Zada and maybe a, a handful of others. But as a fun direction to use these kind of underplayed cards, you can go and get allies that do a bunch of neat things, mostly pumping your creatures and then take your your big turn and um, and finish out by swinging out to the to the whole table, and then you know Tazri's second ability is not useless here because as you generate a bunch of mana, you can also just use her second ability to pump up the allies that you've got out and um, use them to to swing out an attack. Well, the, the, I'll just say that the idea for the deck has been around for a while. There's there was an article that I found when, when I thought of this idea, I went out looking for um, some support for it or recommendations. And I did find an article that, that had basically the same strategy in it from a few years back. And it seemed like it had that risk that I mentioned before, where if you built your whole deck around Zada, you go tutor it out, you're ready to, ready to go off. Someone exiles your Zada. Now your deck doesn't do anything. You just have these crappy cantrips that like, don't, don't do anything. Uh, you have a lot of mana, but like no nothing to do with it. So with the printing of um, Orvar recently, I think the deck got a lot more versatility built into it. Yeah, yeah. And I'll just read um, Orvar. So Orvar is three and a blue for a reg legendary creature shapeshifter with changeling. So Orvar is an ally. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, if it targets one or more other permanents you control, create a token that's a copy of one of those permanents. And then another ability, when a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard this card, create a token that's a copy of target permanent. So the interaction between Zada and Orvar isn't the strongest um, because the copies that Zada puts on the stack aren't cast. You can't trigger Orvar's ability there. And having a bunch of copies of Zada, well, they'll all die from the uh, legend rule unless you uh, do something to take care of that. But just having a backup that synergizes with the same kinds of cards and provides a strong strategy on its own, I think really makes the deck a lot more resilient and you know more fun if, you're, if your friends get tired of you like making the same five plays in a row to win the game, uh, you can kind of just switch up and go start getting Orvar and copying, making a bunch of copies of your Mandadorks or your, your neat allies with Enter the Battlefield effects. Yeah, I think that's a really great interaction. And it's awesome that you were able to find two secret commanders that sort of fill the same space, are looking for a lot of the same cards, but kind of play out differently. Because Zeta is going to have these turns where you're drawing like seven cards or something like that. But Orvar is going to have these turns where you're making, you know, four copies of your your best allies, like getting four Calastra healers or something on the battlefield seems really powerful. So I, I love the versatility in this list. And it is very cool that you can sort of switch up your game plan, uh, depending on like how you're feeling, even though this is like a secret commander list and not and you're not really using Tazri as 
as a toolbox quite as much. It's awesome that you have that versatility. And Orvar synergizes really well with the allies that have protection abilities. So like um, Hero of Gomafada is um, is a good example of this. It's kind of expensive, four and a white um, for a creature, human knight ally with rally. Whenever a Hero of Gomafada or another ally enters the battlefield under your control, creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn. You can hold an instant in your hand and then use Orvar to make a copy of Hero of Gomafada at instant speed to save your board from a from a board wipe, which is a you know a really strong interaction. And I really got to mention this. I just love the interaction of Jeskai Ascendancy and Mana Dorks. And oh. it, it feels like when I get Jeskai Ascendancy online in this deck, it becomes almost impossible to lose. It's it's so fun to just churn through your deck like that. Absolutely. I mean, Jeskai Ascendancy is a card that I think ranks up there as like top of the list for eligible for secret commander status <laughs> yeah. like it is it is definitely worth building a deck around and in this deck is just a total powerhouse yeah it's it's one of those cards where like i always am looking for a chance to play it like there, there's so many commanders that have come out in the last few years where i'm like is it time is it time to bust out the just guy ascendancy because it, it is so powerful and being able to have access to green like nick said for these mana dorks is is pretty insane and uh, you also get to use one of like my favorite mana dorks, which is the Harabaz Druid. Um, the ally druid makes uh, mana of any color for each ally you control. That seems like that just goes off in this list too. <laughs> like absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and un an untapper targeting that is is really strong. I mean, it's also important to note that key inclusions in this deck are the cards that make all of your creatures all creature types. So yeah. Maskwood Nexus and Arcane Adaptation fit in really well here. We're also including the two slivers that that give tap at a color. So you, know, you start making tokens. If you can make all of your creatures slivers, then your mana generation just goes off the charts. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's really interesting, too, that Orvar, the fact that he has Changeling slots so well into this list, I would not have thought that that would be super relevant a lot of the time. But then here we are, like you, you showed us this list and all of a sudden I was pretty blown away by just how well it all pieced together. And and like you said, that it, you could have game plan A with your Zada or you can have game plan B with your Orvar and both of them are equally easy to find. <laughs> it's That is actually really cool to me. So And I mean, Orvar has just exploded in popularity since it was spoiled. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the EDH rec page, Orvar's, being in mono blue, those decks are also playing a lot of cards that don't really do anything. They just say <laughs> target and draw a card. That's yeah. the main thing. But so like 71% of those decks are playing Thermal Flux, which makes a, <laughs> makes a non-snow permanent snow or a snow permanent not snow. And then, you know, you know it has the delayed uh, cantrip ability. So you draw a card on the next turn's upkeep, which is... in. In these decks where you're trying to have a big turn, like that's a major downside compared to a regular cantrip. Mm -hmm. So the fact that 71% of decks are playing that card just shows that there aren't enough cantrips, cheap cantrips to populate the deck. And when you go to five colors, it's not an endless supply. There, you you do kind of quickly run out of ones that are that do something useful, but it's easy to find enough uh, cards that that kind of earn. You don't feel embarrassed putting in your deck. Mm -hmm. It, when you have that many colors. I want to mention um, 
we're, we're going to be posting your list in the the show notes in the episode description. Um, but, you know, this deck that you've got here is very budget friendly, which is remarkable for a five color list. Currently, yeah. as of the time we're recording, it's about one hundred and fifty dollars, um, which is it's great that you can have so much fun, do so many things with a relatively budget list. But if you were to add some some money to the deck, where do you think you would put it? What cards are are currently not being considered because of budget restrictions? I mean, the the first place I would look is good tutors. So the deck, you know, we, we were talking about Jeskai Ascendancy. That's a card that you really want to have access to. And there aren't infinite of these untapped uh, cantrips. So like Cerulean Wisps, and refocus and twitch are the are the best ones so just a you know mystical tutor vampiric tutor those cards would really make the deck a lot more consistent and you know tutors just don't come cheap demonic tutor those those would all be amazing includes here the land base that i've put put together for this deck is also very budget i've found that it's it's fine because you really are coming online on turn five and Tazri only having white mana in her casting cost. You know, you really just need like green for your mana dorks, white for your Tazri, and then red for Zada, and then the other colors you can find as you go. So the budget mana base really isn't that bad, but you know, with five colors, you really uh, want to have fewer tap lands and, and more consistency in the mana base. I, the the really great thing here, though, is that these allies that I've included are all cheap just because they don't. They have powerful effects, but they only work in an ally deck, and these decks aren't popular, so they're all sub one dollar. I, like I like I mentioned, I think if you wanted to take the deck and make the strongest version of it, which I do think could be quite strong, replacing all those allies with you know your free counter magic, your fast mana, those kind of things are going to make the deck a lot stronger and also really jack up the price. Yeah, just in playing this list, well, I guess. I guess there's an interesting tension here because I, in playing the list, I loved um, Song of Freya Lies. I loved Cryptolith, right? Those just felt so awesome every time I drew them because they really enable the gameplay of like tap all of my creatures for mana, cast a cantrip, untap all of my key creatures, draw a ton of cards. Like that's when the deck feels like it's pretty much unbeatable. And so I was thinking like, you know, if budget were no consideration, like, Earthcraft would be a great addition, although of course that is there's a tension there between like if you're adding money for Earthcraft and also adding money to the mana base, then your Earthcraft gets less good. So, <laughs> so, so maybe that's maybe that's not the perfect addition. But any any of the cards that you think that you would have loved to have added, but you know, your um might have been cut for budgetary reasons. So there is a strong token theme here. Anointed Procession, Doubling Season, those cards would be amazing in the deck as well. And really with Orvar, that that synergy is especially strong. So including those would also be be awesome, but out of out of budget range right now. Mm-hmm. I think the the last thing I did want to mention too is something I've been thinking about and trying to find a place for for a while that you just kind of like seamlessly we're able to drop in here. You have Gigantha the Wellspring as a companion, <laughs> which is, I mean, I am blown away that it works so well that you actually are able to pull that off and like the deck doesn't feel like it's suffering for it. It's really not. And, and I think that like one of the things about building five color decks is that they 
can just become a pile of staples really easily. You, know, yeah. you start thinking about what am I going to do? What's my mana ramp? What's my card draw? And you're just like, I'm just going to fill my deck with all the best cards in Commander. Having Gigantha as a companion, and, and for those of you who don't know, Gigantha's companion condition requires that you not have more than one of any color pip in the in the casting cost of all the cards in your deck. Yeah. It creates just enough of a limitation to kind of make some interesting card choices. So there are some some allies that get excluded and there are some some other cards that um, I think would fit great into the deck. Even, you know, talking about tutors like a budget tutor of Diabolic Tutor can't can't be included because it has two black pips. So Gigantha makes a really good way to add a condition to deck building. But also, like I was mentioning, the deck kind of comes online on turn four or five when you when you get Tazri out, which kind of you'll naturally have a spot in the early game where you can pay that three to get Gigantha in your hand. And then targeting Gigantha with an untapped cantrip is is really strong and yeah. because the deck is full of these one and two mana cantrips that that five mana you get to spend only on colored casting costs is really easy to deploy mm -hmm. yeah i think that's the thing i like about it most is that not only does it fit in as a companion but like it's it is the perfect effect like you basically are giving yourself a cool mana dork that you can always use and you pretty much always have access to um, that isn't, that, that's good. <laughs> it's, it's like a really good card. And I think just the fact that that all works out that way, that kind of blew my mind. I was like, oh, wow, that like works so seamlessly. Another cool card in the deck, one that I've been trying to build around for years is Noyan Dar. Three white blue for a legendary creature Mer Merfolk ally. And it says, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may put three plus one plus one counters on target land you control. If you do, that land becomes a, a zero zero elemental creature with haste that's still a land. And uh, Noyan Dar is a four four. It's just a really strong ability, but the decks that are built around it on e EDH Rec actually look not that much fun. They're filled with counter spells. But in this deck where your your spells are doing stuff, they're drawing you cards. If you have Zada out and Noyandar, you're making a token every time you cast a spell, and then you're getting to target that land or that new, that creature with the spell that you've cast, which is just really strong and, and fun. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah, maybe just... the, the third secret commander in this list? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so here's the, if, if you can only own one commander deck, you have yeah. this one, and uh, every time you pick it up, you have a different uh, secret commander to play with. There you go. <laughs> awesome. This is definitely making me look a lot more closely at the the ally creature type, and maybe the next time we come back to Zendikar, we'll um, we'll get some more additions to this deck, more potential secret commanders. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed. I actually was sitting on this list with the hope that we would get some more allies in the most re recent Zendikar set, and when they didn't include any. Um, I, I, I was pretty bummed. So Orvar coming coming along and really spicing the deck up um, brought me a lot of happiness. Well, do you guys have any final thoughts you want to say on the topic of Secret Commanders or this list in particular? So I, I just kind of circling back to the to the downsides of this approach. You know, we talked about budget. Five colors is expensive um, on the mana base side. Um, so if you can 
you know, afford to put one of these decks together. I think it's a lot of fun, but it's not like really in the range of, of every player. Um, and I think that having a deck that has the versatility from a secret commander is really important because of the risk of losing access to the, the single card that your deck is built around. Mm-hmm. The fact that you could just get your Zada or Orvar exiled in the middle of whatever you're doing does seem like could kind of ruin your day. <laughs> you hear stories of these decks that are that are basically just a commander in the 99 with five colors so that you can expand your, your tool set. Losing access to that commander can just really end end your game. So it still needs to be a functioning deck, and having synergies with the actual commander, I think, is really important, not just something there to, to placehold for uh, your colors. Yeah, I guess that's a good tangent into my closing thoughts on secret commanders, because one of the reasons that I'm... I When I started the episode, talked about not liking them, a lot of that came from this... Uh, kind of idea that it was just using some other commander to expand the color identity for one specific commander. And a lot of them weren't super elegant, uh, at least the ones that I was seeing like earlier in the format when there were less options and there's just less stuff to do. And so it really made me think about like the the downsides and your list coming along and showing me like how cool something like this can be like how so many things can come together and work really made me look for things to look out for in the future so in particular like you just mentioned the secret commander works really well with the primary commander like they they do have synergy together i think that's something that i'm going to keep an eye out for in the future um obviously the tutor commander super important if you're just relying on drawing tutors or drawing the card you need to make your secret commander work. It just seems like it's going to not work out super well most of the time when you're going to try something like this. And then having different routes to victory. Like I think one of the reasons this deck is so cool to me too, just to reiterate, is that you have multiple axes on what you're building and you have multiple cards that synergize with it. So like, yes, it's a Zada list, but now it's also kind of an Orvar list. And now it's also kind of this... Uh, Gigantha cantripy list and you can put all of these things into it so organically that even though it is a secret commander list you're not screwed if one of the commanders goes away i think that is a rare mix of things but i'm going to be on the lookout for it now <laughs> whenever sets come out and whenever we do get tutor commanders as opposed to just kind of writing off the idea of a secret commander altogether playing a Gitrog monster and a soul list because you wanted the blue or something like that. I think this is a very good example of what a secret commander can look like and play like, and it can be really fun. It, I think this mitigates a lot of the downsides. I just want to say that like in the past, I've been pretty down on tutor commanders because, um, you know, the, the idea was just like, Oh, it's going to play the same way every game. You're quickly going to find the best line. And then it really like, drastically reduces the variance which is kind of the whole point of the format like you know commander has a singleton rule and a large deck size to increase um the variance between games and like you know i was always down on tutor commanders because they circumvented that but they really do provide a valuable service in a lot of cases in allowing you to build around a card that isn't a legendary creature or that doesn't have the text blank can be your commander. Now I'm actually kind of excited for the possibility of future commanders 
that will allow like fan favorite engines to be more playable in this format. Like it would be kind of cool if you could get a uh, a card that maybe enabled you to tutor out new perspectives, for example, and just kind of like cycle through your deck or do something cool like that. I, ju- I just think the the possibilities for tutor commanders are broader than I had initially thought. And I think they can add new archetypes to the format by letting you play these cool engines. So yeah, so I, I guess with that, thank you, Russell, for coming on. This was a lot of fun. And I think this list is really cool. I think a lot of people really enjoy it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate the chance to come on. This was a lot of fun. Well, with that, I want to just give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Eamon, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Charlotte, The White Clays, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kyle, Jeremy, Russell, Troy, Dylan, Walter, Leo, Ian, John, John, Tom, and Kevin. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you are not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.